The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning, everyone. I'm your host, Janine, and this is the Get the Funk Out Show. And I have special guests joining me in just a moment. Michael Luckman, he's the author of Overpowering Fear, Defeating the Number One Challenge in Sales and Life. It's a new book, and it's going to take a look at some of these amazing moments that he's had to face, and you'll probably be able to relate to some of these moments of fear in your own life. Uh, I know that, you know, we all walk around with some of these phobias and we think, what's the matter with us? we got to shake this off. This is ridiculous. But you know what? We, we have to be a little uh, less tough on ourselves because uh, when you learn to overpower your fear, you'll, you'll find incredible strength. So Michael Luckman is here to join us. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Janine. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good. Good. I, I was really uh, happy to hear you. I heard you on another show. And I heard about your book, Overpowering Fear, Defeating the Number One Challenge in Sales and Life. And I was wondering if you could tell the listeners a little bit about that. Well, it's, it's a funny thing. All my life, I've sort of felt like I had a message to tell, but I never was sure what it was. And I had this desire to write a book. And uh, I think within the last 10 years, you know, I never knew what I wanted to write about, okay. nor the fact that I was very unusual or different or even had anything to say. Okay. And uh, oh, about 12 years ago, I uh, became a licensee of Sandler Training, which is sales training. Okay. And it's a... It was just a. It was just a perfect match for me, a perfect fit. I love training salespeople because I love salespeople. And in the training, you know, I would see my students really, really learn this uh, the material, and and those who used it all would go out there and they would see incredible increases in their sales. That's I mean, I, we're not talking about 10 or 20%, but I would see my students double and triple, and I had even one student quadruple wow. his income, and it was phenomenal. But then on the other hand, I had other students that used it, used the materials, but never fully used the materials. Mm-hmm. And what I would often do in situations like that would be to, you know, role play with them. And, for instance, we had a uh, fantastic cold call script that would get meetings. And then I would have students say to me, "Uh, the script isn't working. And then I'd say, really? Well, that's unusual. Why don't you call me up and roll, and we'll role play it. And within 10, 15 seconds into the script, I'll call a timeout and say, what happened with blank, blank, blank? Mm-hmm. And the answer was usually, oh, I'm uncomfortable saying it, or I'm afraid they're going to get mad at me, or I'm afraid ah. I'll say the wrong thing and, and they'll hang up, or I'm afraid that the script is too long, so I shortened it. Oh. And then I realized that really the one thing that was affecting me in my life mm-hmm. and affecting my students was their fear that stood in the way of them achieving the greatness that I thought they deserved. Interesting, interesting. You know, I remember when I was in, let's see, I had graduated 
and I was looking for a job, and I would just open the phone book. This was years ago, and I would cold call, and you do get nervous. You feel a lump in your throat. You're kind of sweaty, but it's great practice. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. And it's, it's amazing that, you know, you bring up the one thing that is, I mean, we're, and, and where this comes from, I have no idea, but we're afraid of talking to other people. Yes. Be it on the phone or at a party or going up to somebody or at a networking event. It, it's amazing and, and that we have this fear. Well, we all feel like we sound stupid. <laughs> we, we, you know, what we're saying, our message isn't quite right. It's like we all need to do that elevator exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, that 30-second spiel about what it is we're either selling or doing or want to do to believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet, and even no matter, you don't have to be a salesperson to have a, an elevator pitch. You're right. I mean, it's, it's who you are. But, you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, because I, I've done a lot of networking, and, and I teach, and I've taught net, networking. And, you know, it, it, when and I was just at an event the other day where they went around the room and everybody introduced themselves. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was speaking at the event, but they went around. And, and you can tell that the majority of people were not even listening to the other people's 30-minute uh, pitch right. because they were going over their own in their mind. Well, what should I say? Well, how should I change it? Or what should I do? You know? Yes. And, uh, and, and why? Why, if, if you're talking to other people who are probably just as scared or just as fearful as you are, mm-hmm. why do we feel these strange feelings from just telling people who we are and what we do and what our life is like? Why, do, why is that? Anyway, Fear comes, you know, I talk about fear and how to overpower it. Mm-hmm. And, and first I want to explain that I use the word overpower as opposed to overcome because I believe there is a difference. You don't have to overcome your fears. I mean, uh, you talk to uh, famous actors or actresses who are on the stage and they'll tell you that they feel nervousness before they go out. So they've not overpowered that fear, yes. that stage fright. They've learned how to control it, how to face it, and not let that fear stop them. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, but fear comes from, you know, you and I wouldn't even be speaking today. We wouldn't even probably be alive if our ancestors didn't acknowledge those those fearful feelings. I mean, fear is attached to our, and the way it works is there is the in the oldest reptilian part of our brain. There's what they call the amygdala, and there's more to it than I'm. I'm not a doctor or a okay. biologist or anything like that, but just from reading up on it, knowing that that the amygdala takes information from our five senses. You know, if you've mm-hmm. ever uh, walked through the woods and saw a deer and you stepped on a, on a twig and broke the twig and all of a sudden the deer's head pops up. Yes. Well, that's fear. They, they, they heard something. And that meant, hey, let's watch out. There might be danger out there. And that was great for our ancestors who may have lived in caves. But why do we, you know, it's one thing as, as, as modern man, 
you know, we live in California, and, and we always read stories about a mountain lion that comes down from the hills into the valleys. And yeah. it would be one thing to walk out of your house and to see a mountain lion on your lawn and to feel fear. Right. And that's great. That's understandable. That's what fear is for. It's a warning. Yes. We turn around, we go back in the house. But why, as you mentioned, when we, when we introduce ourselves or we do our 30-second spiel, why do we feel fear? Well, let me just tell you that I know from my own experience that fear can also be based on how you grew up. If someone made you feel insecure or stupid or not quite good enough, then you're not going to go out there, typically you're not going to go out there and feel strong and confident, and you're going to have to work on that. Oh, absolutely. That is so, so true. You know? Absolutely true. We, we learn these things, and, and uh, I love A Course in Miracles, and I read from that book every single day. It took me years to get into it, but it opened my eyes to how I was raised and where a lot of my fears come from. And you brought up, you mentioned that we are enough or good enough right. or not good enough. And these things are handed down to us. They come from our primary caretakers who are, you know, in most instances, our parents. Yes. You know, sometimes these, uh, these admonitions that they say or, uh, are, are said with malice, like, you're a dummy, you'll never amount to much, you know, mm-hmm. or you're stupid, or you're not college material. And those things stay with us. But sometimes things come to us in love where a parent might say, Oh, honey, I see you're struggling. Let mommy help you. And we begin to, we realize that we're not too smart or not too creative or we can't do it on our own. Right. And and this business, this belief of being not good enough stays with it. And it ties in, I talk a lot about the ego in overpowering fear. And, And my belief about the ego is that it is not our friend, never was our friend, in <laughs> fact, it's more of our enemy. It is our ego that repeats to us all these not good enoughs. That's from your own experience? From my own experience, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the experience of uh, so many others right. that we repeat. You know, we all talk to ourselves. We all hear these voices, <laughs> and, and we hear the same thing that we've always heard. Now, it may be in come to us in our own voice, but the words aren't ours and never were ours. Mm-hmm. But we accepted them as true, that we may not be good enough, we may not be that smart. Right. I mean, we've all heard people say, you know, sort of uh, mocking themselves, oh, I'm such a klutz, or oh, yes. I'm never on time, or oh, I, I, I'm not good at that. Mm-hmm. And those aren't... You know, the words are coming from them, but somebody put those words into their mind. That's right. And their ego comes out and it tells them these things, it repeats these things. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and so it becomes self-fulfilling. You know, it, we, we, it's a cycle that continues on and on and on. You know, I've met people that will say, oh, oh I'm off thumbs. You know, I, 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 I was never good at putting things together. And sure enough, the universe will give you everything you ask for. Yes. Tell the universe you're not good at it, and it will prove to you that you're not good at it. Right. That's right. We reinforce this. 
and 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 I like to say that it's it's not true. It is not true. Somebody gave you this. Somebody told you this. Somebody convinced you it was true, but it's really lies. Right. You know, I love when I look at, I have uh, two girls, and I look at their innocence and uh, how brave they are, and they're, they're willing to take risks. And I think more adults, it's too bad we can't revert back to how confident kids are and how they're not, they don't think about all these insecurities. They just sing as loud as, or as they want or as silly as they want, and they don't care what people think. That's right. But as they get older, they do. That's right. That's, 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 the, that's the downside of it, is that what happens to us? You know, when we were kids, we did some stupid things, some crazy things. We yeah. took risk. Right. But you know often why we took risk? It was our peers. It was a peer pressure. They would dare us. Sure. If we if daring wasn't good enough, they would double dare us or triple dare us or double dog dare us or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would hit with us with that with that word that we didn't want to be labeled with chicken. Right. <laughs> Luckman's a chicken, you know. Sounds like you heard and that you before. Would do some stupid things, <laughs> and then you become adult and you say, "Oh, thank God, I don't have somebody who dares me anymore." Right. Would you agree that one of the biggest fears people have is public speaking? Oh yes. I never met anyone who says, I'd love to get up there in front of people and give a speech. Come on. <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's the same that people, you know, every once in a while, you will run across somebody who will say, you know, I love to make cold calls. But for 99.9% of the population, they won't. That's right. And public speaking is the number one fear out there. It, it really is. It's so self-limiting, and it's, it's really crazy because... You have things to say, but yet you might have been raised where somebody might have said to you, oh, nobody wants to hear your point of view. You know, mm-hmm. you're not important. You know, you're just a little person, and they don't want to hear from little people. You know, you don't have much to say. And so when we want to say it, where we want to get up there, where we want to offer our opinion, we have these overriding things that pop into our mind, these delusional thoughts and then we hear the voice of our ego say, oh, you're going to make a fool of yourself. That's right. Oh, you're probably going to flub your words, or people are going to laugh, and, and all of these negative things. Right. Do you think fear has some logical protective effect on our lives? Oh, I mean, as I said earlier, you and I would probably be talking today if our ancestors didn't have fear. I mean, fear is, is good to protect you to protect you from anybody that wants to cause you harm or anything that wants to cause you harm. But, and there is, that's, that's great. That's what it was for. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was built into us for our survival. But to be at a networking group and stand in a corner because you're afraid to introduce yourself or you're, you see a job opening on the, at work and you are afraid to apply for it because you're afraid, well, maybe I don't have the right skills or, or maybe I'm not smart enough or maybe they want somebody better than me. And that's when fear is detrimental to us. That's when fear holds us back that's and so prevents true. us from having, being, and doing all that we could have and be and do. It's, sure. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, i got to share a story with you. I went to Syracuse University and 
my dad had signed me up to go to some alumni luncheon, and I'm like, Dad, you know, I don't know. They're kind of boring. And he's like, oh, just go. And I went to this luncheon, and we had to go around the room and introduce ourselves, and I hated that. I mean, I, <laughs> the lump in my throat and uh, sweaty palms and, ugh, what, I, what I'm doing is so boring. I used to be in the training and development field. And I'm sitting across from this older woman. She was an actress, and she started talking about what she does to me. And I thought, that's so interesting. And I told her I always wanted to go into radio, but I've been kind of shy, and this was years ago. And she said, I have a voiceover teacher. You really have to call her, Janine. And I said, well, you know, I guess so. She says, no, no, no. Here's the name. Here's the number. She wrote down the napkin. She said, you call her today when you leave here. And I called up this woman, and it was almost like going to therapy because I never liked public speaking, as I mentioned. And it forced me to get in front of people, and the teacher was amazing, and here's why. She would give us uh, a copy to read of a commercial, let's say if it was – Clorox wipes or whatever and she'd say you know come up in the front of the room and she'd take the quietest person in the room so this woman went up and she says now I want you to read the commercial out loud and the woman's shaking and nervous and she says no stop right there and she whispers something in the woman's ear and we're all like what is she saying and all of a sudden the woman starts skipping around the room and she starts swearing every third word and what happened was this woman went from being very insecure to giggling and coming out of her shell and laughing. And she, by the end, she read the copy without the swear words, and she was more animated and she was comfortable and she felt good. And it was an amazing experience. Well, I'm dying to hear what, the, what was whispered in her ear. To swear. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and no. she says, I can't say that. She's like, yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> well, you know, it, uh, I, too, suffered from that fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came out to California, I moved from Chicago. I was raised in Chicago. And I left Chicago. I was a buyer for Toys R Us. Oh. And uh, I moved to California, and I was part of this, uh, what was going to be a chain of freestanding toy stores. And we entered this unique toy store in a contest that was offered by a trade publication called Playthings Magazine. And I had to be in New York to accept an award. Of course, I was there anyway for Toy Fair, right. and, uh, which is held every February in New York City. But uh, at this formal dinner, I had to accept an award, and then I had to give a, about a you know, 15-minute speech about the store and our plans for it and how it came about and all of that. And I was scared to death. I mean, I'm thinking <sighs> of ways to avoid that fear. I'm thinking of you know, you know, you go back to New York, you get sick, it's cold, it's winter. You know, what kind of excuses can I give? Sure. And for weeks before that, even though I had my speech written, even though I knew what to say, I was scared to death. And finally, of course, that evening came and they called on me. I was the last award that they were giving out and okay. the others didn't have to give speeches, but for the best toy store design, they wanted a speech. And and, of course, you know, your, your thoughts go to, uh, you know, you're so scared, you're, mm-hmm. you're shaking. And, of course, that whole meal before that, you didn't even know what you ate or what you said to other people around you because right. your mind was racing about that speech you have to give. Yes. And then, but once I got up there, yes, I was nervous. And, yes, at the beginning, my voice, you know, sort of cracked. In fact, I, I, my heart was beating so fast that I looked down at my hand, and I literally expected, because I could feel my heartbeat in my fingertips, and I expected one of my fingers to look like E.T. lighting up at the end, <laughs> you know, because of the fear. Right. But most of the fear is in the weeks prior to the actual event. 
those are where we make ourselves miserable, worrying about it. Yes. Constantly ridiculous. thinking about it. It is ridiculous. Overthink Absolutely. and overthink and overanalyze and overworry, and it becomes to nothing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And the thing is, uh, um, when I got back, I knew I had to do something. Because I wanted to overpower this fear. And I took the Dale Carnegie course, the basic course mm-hmm. that was, uh, uh, let's see, if, uh, over, no, no, I'm trying to remember exactly right. the three parts in there. How to win friends and influence people, how to stop yes. worrying and start living, and public speaking. And, uh, and it taught me to, you know, to go up and do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, most of the things that we think about and that we worry about never come to pass. In fact, one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes is, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. So true. Really. It, it, you know, they, they say, you know, the, the common uh, knowledge is that 90-some percent of what we fear and what we worry about never comes to pass. Right. When did you finally see that fear was something that you could overpower, though? Fear, and I was a fear-based person. I mean, that's the, if you, when you go through the book and you read the book, I mean, I felt fear from the moment I was born to, you know, all my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's, there's a day that goes by that I don't feel some fear, but I know now how to overpower it. What really transpired, what really changed was... Uh, it was in the mid-80s, and I, uh, I was introduced to a men's group, mm-hmm. and uh, never been in a men's group, and I thought, you know, I was married for the second time, and, uh, and I thought, you know, this might be fun, and these were all men uh, about my age, you know, about my income level. Uh, most of them uh, had been married at least once. And it was more to try to understand, you know, why we are the way that we are, men. And what happened was is that we wound up, you know, the group was made up of 50-some men, but we wound up with a core group of 10 that what happened was we, became, we started meeting every week as opposed to once a month, and then we started reading books. And at that time, uh, John Bradshaw had a great book about championing the inner child, and so... We read the book and then realized that we couldn't do any of the exercises by ourselves. We needed a facilitator. And so we hired a facilitator, and that became this group. We lasted about seven, eight years, and every week we would have a meeting, and we would go out and we would hire facilitators, psychiatrists, psychiatrists, to facilitate our group. And one of the psychiatrists we hired was a man named Ernie Pesci, who also was very spiritual, and he introduced us to spirituality. Nice. And once I started getting into that, that I realized that I didn't have to be satisfied with my life as it was, that I had and always have had the power to change my life, to live the life of my dreams. Now, did it happen overnight? (laughs) No No. way. (laughs) I mean, I'm still working on myself. You know, but uh, it's it just it taught me that we do have the power, we have the control, if we choose to to grab onto it. That's right, and to do it. That's right. By the way, for those just tuning in, this is author Michael Luckman, and you're listening to Get the Funk Out. We're going to take a break in just a few minutes, but. 
Now, um, would you say, it sounds like your book has been very cathartic. Oh, absolutely. I think I just read a quote the other day. In fact, I, I tweeted it, and I, I, I can't quite remember, so I'll paraphrase it, but it said, mm-hmm. if you ever really want to learn about a subject, write a book on it. I think it was Benjamin Disraeli okay. who uh, said that. And so, uh, and it's true. Yes. Uh, you, you learn the subject, and it becomes a catharsis for working on yourself to let go the things that you need to let go and to allow change to come into your life. And I think you have to recognize your fear and say, you know, okay, I have this this fear. Like, I have a fear of fire because I had a fire when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to go and I look at the outlets in my kids' rooms to make sure, okay, there's no stuffed animals around them and they're not overpowered and overplugged in. And I think that's a normal thing. And I recognize, as, okay, well, maybe not everybody does that, but I need to do that for peace of mind. I need sure. to just check. Sure. And I say to myself, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. okay. I went through an experience. It was very traumatic. I lost everything. And it's what I do. It's yeah. what I do to feel okay. Well, there we that goes back to why we do fear. I mean, there are reasons, legitimate reasons, why we feel fear. You've had a bad experience, mm-hmm. and you're doing what others should do also. That's true. I mean, I mean you know, fire is, we know it's going to happen. Right. You know, and uh, and the fact that you do that, there is fear working in a positive sense for you. It is true, because I got to tell you, if if I was um, my mother at the time when I was 12, I would have checked to see the the power strip was totally overloaded in my room. And that's what probably caused a lot, a lot of factors, but it was an overpowered power strip. And I, for years I blamed myself, but then I think to myself, no, this is something you have to go and you check and you make sure. And, you know, like my little one one time put a staple into an outlet and she got a zap and I'm like, well, you don't do that. <laughs> She'll never do that again. that's how you learn. That's how you learn, Right. <laughs> That's how we learn. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, he, I think it's, you just got to keep conscious of, uh, you know, a normal, quote-unquote, level of fear. And, and, you know, it's okay to have a certain level of fear. I think it makes us stronger. It, it does. When fear works uh, to prevent us from doing something stupid, I mean, uh, we should feel fear if we leave uh, a club, let's say, at 2 in the morning, in a neighborhood we're not familiar with. I mean, right. I mean, their fear is good. It, it keeps us vigilant. It keeps us watching out for ourselves. So true. But, so true. Uh, but fear of applying for a job, fear of seeing somebody that, you know, you're interested in, you know, if you're single, male or female, how many people see, how many men at least, I know, because I'm speaking for myself in the times I was single. How many times do we see somebody that we want to meet, but fear prevents us from crossing that chasm in front of us, the dance floor or whatever, yes. to go meet them? We've had that fear since we were in seventh, eighth grade. Of course. Of course. And, 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 and there is where there's a good example of where fear is preventing you from meeting your ideal mate. That's right. We're afraid of getting hurt. We're afraid of taking risks. Everything. We're afraid of that initial no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that initial no. Uh, I don't know if you read uh, Shad Helmstetter's book on, uh, uh, you know, what to say when you when you talk to yourself. I haven't, but it sounds interesting. Okay, it's a it's a <laughs> great book, 
And uh, but he talks about uh, he comes up with the fact that by the time the average person is uh, 18 years old, and this is an unnormal average home, they've heard the word no 148 thousand times. <laughs> wow. I mean, and no is, you know, just for a moment, think back to when you were a toddler, you know, you were, you were crawling, you know, and, and everybody loved, you know, little Jeanine mm-hmm. is crawling along the floor and they're, and they're saying, oh, look at her scamper along. Pretty soon she's going to be pulling herself up. Pretty soon she's going to be walking. And then, you know, the next week there you are pulling yourself up on the coffee table or whatever on your unsteady legs. But, that very fact that you were standing up opened up new vistas for you. Now you could see things. Now there was an ashtray or maybe or, or a drink, you know, or a candy dish. And, of course, you want to reach for it. Right. And so you go to reach for it. And what's the first thing that you hear? No. No. And you never heard no before. Right. Nobody ever said no to you. It was the beginning. But this time when they said no to you, it didn't sound like all the cooing and the loving things. It was no. Don't touch that. Yes. And all of a sudden, I mean, there is a scary thing. And to think in 18 years, you're going to hear that word 148,000 more times. It's unbelievable. Yeah. unbelievable. We have to take a short break, Michael. You've been listening to Michael Luckman. I'm your host, Janine. We'll be back. We're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, and this is the Get the Funk Out Show. Hang tight, Michael. We'll be right back. You're listening to... Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, (laughs) no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I'm working two jobs, and my husband works too. My kids go to school with your kids. I sit next to you at PTA meetings. We live right next door. We've been neighbors for years. You know my family and me pretty well, but here's one thing you don't know. I'm one out of every six Americans, and my family is struggling with hunger. Like you, we believe in this country. What's hard to believe is in the land of milk and honey how many hardworking Americans have to choose between paying bills and feeding their families. This is a problem with a solution. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. 
Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to Get the Funk Out Show. I'm your host, Janine. We're back with author Michael Luckman. Hi, Michael. Hi, Janine. So one of the things I wanted to mention is sometimes we have all these fears, which I think we should just write down, get, you know, get it down there. And, you know, we think it's so ridiculous that, that no one else feels like this, but in fact, so many people have similar fears. You know, that is so, so true. You know, we go through life uh, from the time we're little, believing that our thoughts, our fears, our emotions are unique to us and that nobody else feels these things, and that is so wrong. We all feel these things. We, I mean, we're, this, is, I, I, this is one of the things that uh, from, my, uh, when I, from the time I was a child, I always believed that I was like everybody else, that I was every man. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did have these fears that these were unique to me, but then again I would always say to myself, I can't believe that I'm alone in this. I can't believe that other people don't feel this way. You know, we always have them out there. You know, I feel this way they don't feel. If I could get into that group, I wouldn't have these thoughts and feelings anymore. But we're really all the same. We're all human beings. We're all experiencing the same life together, and we're we're always going to feel that. But once we understand that we're not alone, and I think this is, is, is probably the first step in, on the journey to overpowering your fears, is to realize that what you fear, what your thoughts are, you are not alone. That other people have these crazy, ridiculous, delusional thoughts, <laughs> right. and we're, we're just as normal as everybody else. So true. So true. You know, it's just something I think you, you have to say, you know, I want to work on this. You know, I don't want to wallow in it. I'd like to, as you say, overpower it. That's true. Mm-hmm. We, we, we need to work on it. And one of the first things in working on it is, of course, recognizing the, that you're not alone and that other people do feel these things, do have these same thoughts, do experience these same fears. But in, in my book, Overpowering Fear, in the back, uh, section three of the book, are ten exercises. That was my next question. Do you have any how-to tips for kind well, of overpowering? Yeah, uh, you've got to. You know, it's, uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a fear-based person. And where so many of the books that I've read in the past about fear were written by psychiatrists, psychologists, who would say, I had a patient that experienced this, and this is how we helped them overcome it. Uh, but there was nothing in the personal there. There was nothing that's saying, hey, I'm you. I feel this. I felt it. This is what I did. So I realized that talking about overpowering fear is great, and, 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 and the first two sections of the book will get people to understand that they're not alone, that other people are experiencing the same thing, mm-hmm. that they could probably relate to a lot of my experiences in life, my ups, my downs, the good, the bad, 
even some ugly is thrown in. <laughs> but if we don't, if I didn't give them ways that I've learned, and I've learned through trial and error what would work, I would keep, what didn't work, I would discard. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to offer something that's going to help people and say, if you do this and you follow this order, this is what's going to happen. And the first exercise is defining your fears. Sure. Because oftentimes we don't even know we're experiencing fear because we've had it so long and we've worked on ways, we've worked uh, workarounds. A workaround is a way to avoid Avoid facing the fear. (laughs) That's right. Yes, you and I were talking offline about avoiding. There have been moments in my life I've said, I don't think I want to, you know, acknowledge that award or recognition because I can imagine they're going to ask me to get up on the stage and give a speech and there's no way. (laughs) That's right. That's right. See, that's, that's one fear, but you could have also had the fear that I'm not deserving enough. Yes, that too. Yes. You know, I'm not good enough. They must have made a mistake in choosing me to award me this mm-hmm. because I'm not that smart or I'm not that creative or I'm not that talented. Yeah, they must have the wrong person. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if that didn't stop you, then the next one would be the fear of having to accept the award yes. and give a speech. Exactly. Yeah. So the the, the thing, the the first important exercise in the book and that people need to do is just take a legal pad and a paper and a pencil or pen go into a room close the door maybe put on some soft music and ask themselves what do i fear what am i afraid of and then keep asking until your mind will give you your fears and and you'll write them down. Mm-hmm. And I, what I always suggest is that don't don't uh, say you know negotiate with whatever comes in. Say, oh, I don't feel that that often. That's stupid. I won't put that down because it wouldn't be popping into your mind. It's coming from someplace. Somebody's telling you that this is your fear, and it may be because it's way way down that you don't even realize right. you had this fear. That's right. And I was going to say, I want to just mention that um, it's okay as, as an adult to be afraid of the dark. I mean, you know, I've had my moments when I used to live alone, I'd sleep with a nightlight. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw that out there, but I don't really love the dark. I, I don't either. Yeah. When I travel, I, uh, I, uh, I always leave the bathroom light on in the hotel room or go. whatever. <laughs> I don't want to wake up in some place that I'm not familiar with and it's pitch black. And not know who you are, right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's okay. I mean, those are the things, as long as that doesn't prevent me from traveling. I know. Can you imagine I'm not going to go on a trip because I'm afraid of waking up in a hotel room and it's dark? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, how many times do you see people, you know, uh, and a lot of times young people, too, you know, that are traveling with their pillow? Oh, right. That's you know? right. Or you see college kids and they got their stuffed animal when they're at the airport, you know, with them. I mean, these are things, and these are okay. I mean, it's okay to feel these things because it's not preventing you from achieving your greatness. Except I'd kind of worry, like, if it was my honeymoon and my husband went away with his teddy bear. I mean, you know. That would be, but I'd, I'd hope that by the time you got to that point, <laughs> that you would understand that he sleeps with his teddy bear. Right. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. But exactly. he carries it with him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that might have been a breaking point there. Yeah. Um, so you want to share any other tips, how people, you know, things people can use to discover what fears are, you know, well, coupling them? Well, uh, I mean, the thing is, first and foremost, is to write that list because it, it will help you realize the things that are preventing you from having everything in your life doing everything that you desire, being the person that you want to be. That's what fear does. It stops us from yes. achieving the greatness that I believe each of us is destined for. I believe that each of us, when we are born, has a unique function in life. And it is God's wish for us to reach that function. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, so many of us don't because fear prevents us. It blocks our path. That's true. And it prevents us from achieving this greatness. So the second exercise in my book is to look at your three top fears. And what I do in the first exercise is to just write them out and then to prioritize them. Which is your greatest fear to the least fear? And what, what I usually suggest is that let's just work on the top one, two, or three fears that you have. Once you learn the process, then you can work through your total list of fears. So we want to understand, so we take one of the fears, there's your first, your number one fear, and we look at it, we say, well, how often do you feel this fear? How often does it come up? Uh, has this fear cause problems in your in your life you know is mm-hmm. it just some because sometimes our fears prevent us from truly living that life and they also affect those that we love right our spouses our children yes and so we want to look at that and how has those fears affected those closest to us and then we want to look at what we do to avoid those fears and there, now here we're getting into something that's really very, very important because these are the workarounds. You know, if you're, if you're not a good athlete and you, you're, you're so afraid that you're going to embarrass yourself and every year at the company picnic they've got all these games and things and you're scared of being asked to join in those games for fear mm-hmm. of making a fool of yourself. Sure, very common. So you'll do a workaround where you'll come in with, uh, let's say, on crutches. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going out down the fire end, but no, but that's I'm sure people have you'll, done that. You'll find yes. every excuse under the sun to not play with 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 your coworkers in these games, and you'll come up with ways to even maybe avoid going to the company picnic for mm-hmm. fear that you're going to be asked. So these are the workarounds we do. Now, every time that you face a fear, or I face a fear, we lose something. If I'm a salesperson, and I'm, uh, I'm in a networking group, or a leads group, and somebody gives me a lead, and says, oh, you've got to call this guy, he's, he's a great guy, he's my neighbor, he's CEO of Big Big Corporation. Uh-huh. Well, if you're uncomfortable talking to 
little CEOs corporations. or you know presidents or, or people in high positions like that, right. then you'll try to find every reason for not calling them. You'll go through your mind. Your mind will say, well, he probably doesn't want to talk to you. You're just small. You're insignificant. He's not the real buyer. You know, it's much lower in the organization. And you'll come up with every excuse under the sun for not calling them. Sure. Yes. Now, let's say your average account is worth $20,000, your average customer. Mm-hmm. And this company is five times your average customer. So this account could possibly worth, be worth $100,000 to you. Well, what's going to happen is that you're not going to call that CEO. You're going to make those excuses. And if you were asked point blank, what did you lose out on? You'll say, well, nothing. Because I never had an order from them. They never were my customer. So since I didn't have something, I couldn't lose anything, right? You've lost the opportunity. Yes, yes, you've lost the opportunity. You have lost $100,000. Right. You've actually lost more because let's say you're going to have that customer for 10 years. You've now lost a million dollars. Did they not buy your product from anybody because... You didn't call on them? No, they bought from your competition. Mm-hmm. So your competition, in that 10-year time, received a million dollars worth of business from this corporation. And the only reason you didn't get it, the only reason it's not in your bank account, is because you were afraid to pick up the phone and call that CEO. But then we, you also need to take it one step further. Because $100,000 or a million dollars doesn't mean much. Okay. But when you think about what, you're, what you could have bought with that money, you could have bought your wife a new car. She's been wanting a new car for years, but you've always bought a used car mm-hmm. for her. But she gets to choose the car she wants. Your children get to go to private school. Or maybe you're able now to afford a home in a better neighborhood with better schools. So your children go to those better schools and they get into a better college. Sure, sure. I mean, these are the things that we lose out on whenever we face a fear and succumb to that fear, capitulate, give in, allow the fear to win. And it's crazy because the fear is delusional, going back to that example. It is. What's the worst that can happen if you make a call to the CEO and you say to him that, you know, your neighbor Joe gave me your name and number, thought that we should talk? And what's the worst that can happen? He could say, I don't like my neighbor Joe? Yeah, no, well, (laughs) plus the worst thing that's going to happen is someone's going to say no. Yes. And that's it. But you tried. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and what if they say no? Life goes on. You'll live. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're the same person before the call. You know, you were before the call as after the call. I know. All it was was just it was 148,001. <laughs> That's right. No, that so you're going to hear. You know, I, I get in these moods sometimes where I don't really want to go somewhere. I don't want to do something because it's the effort of getting ready and going. And, oh, it's probably not going to be that great a time. And I don't know. I, you know, like I get in this funk, and then that's the time when I surprise myself because I go and I have the best time, and I tell my kids the same thing when they say, I don't really know, I don't want to go. I said, you, you, that's when you surprise yourself. You end up having yeah. a blast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, we don't want to go because, you know, we we may go back to a uh, a time that we went to some event and and it wasn't good. Right. But usually, when we finally go to these things, when we finally do these things, we do have a great time. Absolutely. We do enjoy ourselves. We do meet interesting people. We do have interesting conversations. Absolutely. Now, I understand you've got some free audio programs on Overpowering Fear. How can people access those? Okay. Well, if they go to my website, uh, Mm overpoweringfear.com, And on the right side, if uh, there's, they can sign up for my email. I, I blog daily. They can sign up, get my emails in their inbox. Um, I tweet daily. But if they sign up on that, uh, what will happen is that they'll get an uh, email in return, welcoming to our, my website and to my emails, and there will be three free audio MP3 files that they can download. Great. And these three are the beginning of what's going to be an actual set of CDs that I'm going to offer for sale on my site. But for right now, the first three, these are ready. They run anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. And uh, the three that are free are Overpowering Fear, Shutting Off Shame, and Victory Over Victimhood. Fantastic. And uh, and so they can listen to those. They can put them on their iPod, their mm-hmm. iPad, any MP3 player. Okay. Or they can listen to them from the computer. Now, the other thing, too, is that I've developed a uh, inner circle called Michael's Inner Circle. It's a teleseminar, and I'm doing it every Monday. In the future, it'll be a fee-based program, but for right now, it is free to anybody who wants to join us. Oh, great. And uh, they can see that on my website, too. The actual subject tonight is shutting off shame. It's 6 p.m. Pacific time. So uh, if anybody, any of your listeners want to join us, uh, please do. It's uh, on my website. And uh, if they download, I ask everybody to, of course, have that, uh, listen to that uh, CD, that audio MP3 player, shutting off shame. And we're going to talk about it. Sounds great. And your website is overpoweringfear.com. Right. All right. Michael, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I want to thank you so much for calling in. Well, thank you, Janine. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, I'll be in touch. I'm going to check out your, your free audio programs as well. Terrific. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, Janine. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out, and up next, Sheldon with Cure for the Blues. Have an amazing Monday, and I'll be back here next week. Fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1.